Good morning. Uh, before we get started in this section of our overall worship experience, I want to ask a question of you. This week, how many of you have had at least one experience or one time when you felt very happy? Please raise your hand. Happy. Anybody? A few happy people out there. That's good. How about, uh, have you had a time that you laughed this week? Okay. How about a time you were maybe angry this week? How about sad? How about worried? Aha, I got you. Here's where we're going today, because we just read the Scripture that told us not to do that. You know, um, when we look at God's Scripture, I think it does challenge us to be real, to be who we are, to be honest with ourselves. And uh, we are people of emotions, we're people of success, we're people of failure. We uh, sometimes uh, do that which we don't desire, and even as Paul so often in his Scripture reminds us, he desires to do one thing, but he does the opposite, and it frustrates him. Today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Now, if you don't remember having ever heard that Scripture before, it only tells me you either weren't here last week, or you weren't listening very closely. Because last week we went through some of this Scripture, but we didn't really spend a lot of time camping out in this particular area. And I moved straight on through. So this week, with intentionality, we've returned to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9, speaking specifically on the topic of peace with God that passes all understanding. When we look at the uh, Koine Greek, the, the common language, the language that indeed the, tied to Scripture and how it was written, there are some different ideas that come with the word peace. And uh, so today I want us to take a few moments to deal with that. But, you know, one of the things I found always fascinating in Asia was anytime you'd go to a church, one of the first things you would hear would be a pastor or someone getting up and saying, Peace to you, brothers and sisters. And you know there are a lot of churches around the world that that has almost become just a habit or a custom within their churches. They say, peace to you, peace to you. Uh, nothing wrong with that, because truly we want to have peace. But the problem, I think, some of the time is that our understanding of the words that we use, in that particular case on the word peace, is not always clear to us. The first usage when we look in New Testament understanding of the word peace, really does deal with the kind of peace that I think many of us connect to pretty reasonably. And it talks about the kind of peace you would hope to have in your family, in your home, in your house, as your household is made up of numbers of people. And yet, even as I ask those questions about happy, sad, good, bad, mad, if we're very, very honest with ourselves, some of the times the very issues that we face emotionally come from our household, come within our home as people interact on various issues and our emotions come forth. And so the Scripture in that way talks about peace that would connect to a family or it can also at that point connect into the broader scale of things when you're talking about wars and relationships in that way. 
A second usage for the word peace has to do with restoration or reconciliation. Before I came to Canada, my usage of the word reconciliation was something that I'd used a number of times over the years, but 100% of the time when I used the word reconciliation, it was related to the relationship between man and God and our need to reconcile in our relationship with God. Here I have learned that it's often used with a, a different kind of emphasis, but it's still the same thing saying it's a desire to see a rebuilding of a relationship between one side and another side. Trying to find a way to, 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 to have a, a good relationship, to have a healthy relationship. And that demands a great deal because certainly with God, as often it does with man, there's a need for one side or both sides to do some uh, confession of mistakes, sins, errors, whatever term it might be, but the wrong issues, the wrong direction has to be confessed before the other. And so the Scripture also incorporates, as it describes the word peace, that reconciliation concept. Because indeed, for you and me, prior to being a Christian... We had no relationship with God. We had a broken relationship with God. You may have recognized that there is what they... I've heard this slang term that's been used for years and years, and probably back in my history, I may have even used it. I doubt it because I always had a higher regard for God than this. But the term where we talk about the man upstairs, and I always felt that was a little bit disrespectful for recognizing that God is more than a man, and he's certainly not upstairs. But the idea that there was a Creator out there, and I knew somewhere He was there, but I, until I really made that decision to humbly come before Him, confess my sins, confess those things I had done wrong, and confess I needed Him, we had not reconciled our relationship. There was no peace between us. And it was my fault. And so, again, when we talk about the, some of the, the intricate aspects of peace, we have to consider that particular part. But really, when we look at what Paul is writing, when he talks about peace, he's speaking of the peace of mind. The one most applicable to him is, is related to uh, a serenity of spirit. Uh, it's, it's a hunger for us to rebuild and to have a, a, a dependency on God for our values and our morals and our goals and our purpose. The peace is specifically to reveal a contrast to the troubled and fearful hearts of, dis, of his disciples. Paul knew what he was saying. He understand that his he understood that his disciples were fearful, were uncomfortable. He understood that the church at Philippi was confused about his current situation. They understood his commitment, but still, when the writer of the letter is sent to you from someone that is in prison for their faith, you know there are all kinds of thoughts that come through the mind of the recipient. You receive the letter and you wonder. Well, if God is so great, why didn't He protect him and keep him out of prison? Why didn't He give him a more comfortable life? The peace 
that passes understanding is what Paul was trying to explain to this church. And he said, you're probably going to have a challenge here. But I'm going to remind you, God's peace is a peace of mind, a peace of spirit, a peace of identity. And the reason I mention this to you and me today, and even as I reread Philippians chapter 4 over the last three or four weeks, it just kept jumping out to me that sometimes we do not grab and hold on to and cherish the peace of God. The peace of God carries us beyond our circumstances. Carries us into our relationship. Paul undoubtedly understood the meaning of all that he was saying. And in verse 6, he shows his emphasis of the problem that plagues many of us. And that's anxiety or worry as it's placed, as it needs to be placed under the control of prayer. This is not to say that anxiety doesn't come to all of us. It does. But Paul is saying, don't allow it to remain within you. I don't know how you are, but I I can easily define worry and and, uh, anxiety. In my household, uh, I, I have a person that I live with, and since that person really doesn't like for me to talk about her um, on uh, Sunday mornings, I won't mention who that was. But one of the things that, that I have a weakness uh, in is that if you bring a discussion up with, to me after 10 o'clock at night, that is a very serious issue. We get into these and get into this conversation and if it happens, all I have to do is remind that person and that person usually will stop. Now, you caught the word usually if you were paying attention. That doesn't mean it's 100%. No guarantees. But the point is, after 10 o'clock at night, if I get into a real good, going, strong discussion, I can almost be 100% guaranteed I will not sleep well. My rest will be poor and the next day I won't be worth a lot. I'm not worth a lot anyway, but I'm very much not worth a lot at that point. So, I always hope to not have those kind of discussions. Now, for those of you who are in committee meetings with me, please take that as a hint. It'd be perfectly happy if we want to commit to each other to stop all of our meetings well before 10 o'clock. That would be great. But the point is, for me, I understand what worry and anxiety does to me. And Paul was saying to them, anxiety and worry, avoid it. Don't do it. It's not what you're supposed to be. Because you're supposed to be dependent on the peace that passes understanding. But I am a sinner. In other words, I allow that worry and that anxiety and that desire to find an answer. I am a male fix-it guy. It's one of these issues that men often have. We tend to get into a situation, the first thing we want to do is we listen to the problem and then we're immediately trying to click along. What can I do to make this better? And some of the time, if we're speaking to certain people, and I won't mention the fact that half of the people in this room are female, a lot of times all you're looking for is someone to talk to. But the guys, we tend to not just talk with you. We want to find an answer for you. And sometimes you really don't necessarily want our answer. So sometimes we get into these communication challenges. And Paul is saying, don't be anxious. Don't get worried 
He's challenging us to be different than what is natural. So again, I think a thing we need to recognize is just because something is natural does not make it right. There are many things in our world that are natural and feel comfortable, but may or may not be really what we should be doing. As we think about Paul's situation, we remember what environment he was in. We know he was in prison as he was writing. And you know, as we look at this, we can kind of grasp that Paul and Jesus in some ways went through some very interesting uh, life experiences in a similar way. Both of these two men had a life path that was not focused on comforts and safety and security, prestige and popularity. And yet, both of them had some of those same things in their background. And since we're looking today at a letter that Paul wrote, I'm talking specifically about Paul, but you can compare to Jesus as well. If you look at Paul's life up before he became a Christian, Paul had it all. Prestige, my goodness. He was in a society where, from a religious perspective, and within the circle in which he ran, he was a highly regarded, top-level Pharisee. He could go and say what he wanted to say and people would listen. He had great influence, undoubtedly. Financially, he was doing fine. He was in a much better circumstance, and yet he chose a pathway of following Jesus that took him into great conflicts with many, many people. Because suddenly, after he started following Christ, he was saying to people, I'm doing something different than what the norm says. As we listen to the testimony of these two, on this video, one has a character and a personality that's out there on the edge. Give everything a try. Learn what you can. But yet both of them have a desire to serve God. The other one is saying, I feel comfortable in a structured environment. Is one right and one wrong? I would say they're both right in that their desire is to follow Christ. You know who you are. We need to respect our differences while, it's, while at the same time Encouraging people to follow Christ. These two men, Jesus and Paul, had all these things in their background. Times when people respected Him. Times when they went out and spoke. When Jesus did His miracles, He had everybody following Him. He was so popular. He would go and speak and there would be just thousands of people on the side of the hills listening to Him. And yet, His pathway took Him down a road that had not been traveled previously. Paul followed that pattern. Paul said, I've got to follow Christ regardless of where it takes me. And sometimes our path will take us down a road that people are unprepared for. Persecution and ridicule was the daily experience for Paul and for Christ. Jesus' wording, dealing with the word peace, came in John fourteen twenty seven. It says, Peace I leave you. This is Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Paul's comment on peace. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that you and I understand and that people talk about in our world today seldom goes in the direction of where Paul and Jesus 
were going when they were talking about peace. We live in a world when peace is usually defined based on self-interest and selfish reasons. We talk about peace with a complete different goal. We search for peace of mind within a world of sin and self-driven strife will always continue. And Paul emphasizes that it is only available for those who call Christ Lord in their lives. The peace of this world is deliverance from the trials and tribulations that we have in our world. And yet God is trying to offer us a peace that will deliver us from ourselves, from our own selfish desires, our own to try to somehow work within our identity to make us more. The peace of God comes only from God. And the peace of this world, on the other hand, is temporary and human. As we look today, we can see, number one, it deals with the word anxiety. As you look at anxiety and worry, as we talked about, it's not a true path to peace. God wants us to have true peace. And yet, we have not recognized that anxiety and worry, according to God, is sin. We often say we want to understand what God wants for us and what He likes for us. But according to Scripture, anxiety and worry is not healthy. And so the challenge for us is to ask ourselves whether we allow ourselves to remain in sin or remain in worry, remain in anxiety. Not saying that we don't ever experience it because we are all weak. We all tend to do this. Indeed, I think it's a challenge that that uh, every man in this room has experienced, every woman in this room. Paul was trying to assist the church of Philippi to understand that just because something was natural doesn't make it good. The word anxiety refers to a disturbed by the cares of the mind. Um, in Matthew chapter, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, it reminds us, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Now think of yourself even as I read. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father already knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word worry here and the word worry used in the other part of Scripture when we're looking in Philippians chapter 4 is the same word. When we look uh, also, as we can find in chapter in. 1 Peter 5, 7 or John 14, 1, it also uses this very same word for worry and anxiety. God wants us to focus on fellowship and worship of Him and not on our own personal issues and definitions of what is successful, what is a failure, what is dangerous and what is not. I always reflect on my own generation's issues of peace and I can remember growing up in the latter 60s, 
in early 70s when everyone was talking about giving peace a chance. And I mentioned that last week. But uh, as I was thinking more and more about it, I remembered uh, one of you know, again, I grew up with, I hit that night magic year, 1969 with Woodstock and all of the big musical things, and I had a lot of friends that went to that. Uh, I was unable to go because I had this challenge called work that I was doing uh, in between my schooling at that point. But I can remember a song that came out at the time by a, a, a music group that was uh, famous at the time. Today, when I think about it, kind of amazed that I used to listen to that quite as much as I did. But a guy by the name of Country Joe and the Fish. Now, you'd have to be from my generation to have a clue what I'm talking about, but if you're not from that generation, you can just praise God for that reality. But the words of the song went as follows. Come on, mothers across the land, pack your boys off to Vietnam. Come on, fathers, don't hesitate. Pack your sons off before it's too late. Be the first one on your block to have your boy come home in a box. And it's one, two, three, what are we fighting for? And it goes on. It was a protest song about Vietnam. War was real. If I look at the word peace, I can remember why it was such a big issue. I remember having a, a course in, in high school. They had a special advanced course that was called Problems of the American Democracy. In that class, we discussed all kinds of issues, but peace was always at the center of the discussion. And we were arguing for what all it implied and what it meant. For me, I understood the issue because my draft number was low, which meant that as soon as I finished college, I was on my way to Vietnam. It was all planned. I already was aware that was coming. And so the word peace really meant a lot to me, especially when the war eventually stopped. But, you know, that's talking about Vietnam. That was because that's what I lived through. Prior to that was Korea. Prior to that was World War II. My father lost a lung in World War II. We've been dealing with Afghanistan. We've been dealing with issues in Syria. We're looking at things in Iran, Iraq. Our world with ISIS and everything is pretty messy. Pretty messy. So when we talk about war as related to the opposite of peace, yeah, we kind of have an idea what that means. But the point is, that is an idea that is understood by virtually everybody. It's a concept of peace. But you could have literally no conflict and still not have peace. And that's what Paul was calling for. Paul's focus was different than this. Paul's focus was a peace that passes understanding. Different kind of peace. Not saying the other one is bad, just saying Paul was asking for something even deeper because he was challenging us to have, be sure that our hearts are right. And we look in verse 6. Prayer and supplication are what God wants. Paul is trying to give a bit of a description of what will get people to their peace will give them the kind of relationship they have. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. As I say, my generation, a little confused on definitions of peace. But when we consider ourselves, I think we have to consider what God wants in that relationship with us. 
God wants fellowship with us. Prayer and supplication. For a Christian to fear prayer or be reserved about prayer, you know, we, we in here come together, we should be able to naturally pray for that person who's sitting on your left or sitting on your right. We should be praying for, for each other because we care about them. We care that God is working in their lives. We should ask them to pray for us because we believe the power of God can give them peace. A peace that passes understanding. And we know that even this week, based on what we saw a moment ago, we've had moments of happiness, sadness, anger, worry. Who in this room does not require and need prayer and thanksgiving? As we look, God wants fellowship with us. He wants that time with us. And prayer allows for that. Another thing we need to recognize is that all decisions in life are sacred. We, we don't have our spiritual part of who I am and our non-spiritual part of who I am. We make decisions because of our walk with Christ. People can't distinguish when they look at you. If you make a decision to go this way, to go to this place to make this purchase, to go to that place to do this particular thing... What if it was because you were a Christian or what if it was you did because you didn't want to uh, bother anyone with a negative testimony? People don't distinguish. If they know you're a Christian, all of the decisions that you make will impact other people. Our decisions are sacred. Life is sacred. Our, it is a gift of God. Why you're here. For me, I don't have any challenge when I deal with the question of abortion, for example, because my mother, who was encouraged to have an abortion, chose not to have that abortion. And I'm perfectly happy that she did it. Because if she had, I wouldn't be here today. And I'm very thankful for my life. Our decisions are not accidents. Our life is not an accident. God loves you. Have any of you ever used a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws? If you have, you remember, in The Four Spiritual Laws, number one is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God, number one, the assumption, God. Number two, loves. The loves. And then number three, plan for your life. Brothers and sisters, there is a plan for your life. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. Our lives are precious and are valuable. And we have to recognize that. Peace of God desires the development of a mind of Christ. In Romans 15, verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. As we pray and we have fellowship with the Father, our dependency on Him is revealed as being strong or not. How do you pray? Do you place all of your goals and dreams and plans and identity in His hands? The minds and hearts protected by God, by God's peace, Paul understood the dangers of allowing our values and our morals and our goals to be 
established by our world and our society. He dared to go ahead and place in their, their understanding that they needed to be sure that their minds were in the hands of God. In Christ, our minds should have been, should be set free from the world's control and limitations. But we must remember that we are only to be in the world, but not of the world. And we've got to recognize there's nothing wrong with understanding and grasping the society and the world's values around us, but that doesn't mean we have to buy into everything that is stated. Just because something is legal, just because something is approved, does not necessarily make it of God. Our goal is to find out what is from God. We live in a world that brings challenge to us each and every day. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 8, 6, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Hear it? That means our goal is to be a little different. That means you're going to be a little strange. The non-Christian friends you have may think you've got some peculiar values, peculiar morals, peculiar ideas. Philippians 4.8, going back to the Scripture we're looking at here. Think about the things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute. Let your mind dwell in these things. Folks, this sounds like philosophy, but it's not. Paul understood when he spoke to the church at Philippi, if you guys can't get this together, the lives you live will reveal an emptiness and a lack of Jesus as Lord. My hope for you, my hope for me, is that Jesus truly will be the Lord of our church. Be the Lord of your life, my life. That our values and our morals and decisions will all be based on a hunger for being Christ-like. Romans 12, 2. Renew your minds. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Has your mind been transformed? Are your goals different than those that you may find in school? I'm not saying be strange intentionally because you will be adequately strange just to follow Jesus as Lord. Philippians 4.8 We've already read that Scripture. For most of us, when we hear some people using the word peace in life, we get all kinds of responses toward it. Uh, people have different uh, appreciations of the Word. Uh, I know we've, you listen to some kind of a, uh, the beauty contest. People always get up and the girls talking and saying that they want world peace. Well, the world peace that they're talking about has nothing to do with peace of mind. This last, uh, just a couple of days ago, I was taking a walk down uh, 49th Avenue. And as I was walking along, I saw at a bus stop, there was a nice little, I guess it was probably uh, two meters tall by one meter wide sign that said, uh, get peace of mind, invest with us. 
It was an investment corporation. But they used the right word, peace of mind. Which tells me that in their understanding of what peace of mind is tied to, it's based entirely on financial gain. Paul, I don't think by any way, shape, or form, or Jesus at that point, would have ever said, your peace of mind will come with your having gotten a new home, gotten a higher salary, gotten anything that this world has to offer. Folks, you and I have to look carefully at our own selves and what makes us a success. Your definitions may be different. The one sitting next to you may have a different definition than you. But Paul is challenging us. And he is saying, peace that passes understanding is your goal. And that peace only comes when Jesus is the Lord of your life. This week, I was reviewing a booklet that I got from a church that it was sent to me. Uh, I received it from a church that uh, I've been to, and I know the brothers and sisters. But if you don't think that peace in our society and world is something that is challenging, let me read to you just the titles. I'm not going to go into the details, and we're not going to camp on the ideas. But this booklet was written by a church to say, we must be a church of relevance. And we need to deal with some of these subjects and we know it will be a challenge. They went through and they went through Scripture and tied it to each one of these topics. I don't think life is ever that simple that you can just click it up like that and it'll all be handled. But let me give you some of the things that do challenge our world today and which we have to struggle with. Divorce. Sexual immoralities. Cohabitation and experiential marriage. Extramarital affairs. Adultery. Premarital sex. Embezzlement. Exploitation, bribery, theft. Idolatry, superstition, homosexuality. Substance abuse, marriage to a non-believer, restoration of wrongs, helping a brother or sister who is caught in sin, disputes between believers, preaching or teaching that has, is guiding to false teachings. These topics are tough. They are topics that make us uncomfortable. To be a Christian in our society today means we're going to sometimes be uncomfortable. But if we're not willing to work through trying to find as deeply as we can, where is Jesus in our stance? Where is Jesus in our standard? Where is Jesus in what we're doing? Then we are not being honest with ourselves or with God. Jesus' expectation of us is more important than whether we feel comfortable about our decision. Paul says, peace with above, above our own understanding. 
is our goal. Not easy. But again, no one ever said to be a true Christian was easy. Let us pray for ourselves. Father God, we come to You today asking You to teach us how to be honest with ourselves and honest with You. Father, we appreciate what Paul has said in challenging the church at Philippi and the church at VCBC. It's not exciting and fun and that kind of thing in the sense that it challenges us to to stand up and be strong. It is exciting in that we know if we will find that peace and that dependency in Jesus, there is a joy that can exist. Father, help us to appreciate that joyous relationship with You of allowing You to be our Lord. Father, it's not easy. We ask for courage. In Jesus' name. I invite you to stand.